Thank you for listening to this virtual presentation of Atoptic 2020. Atoptic is a Twin Cities-based arts festival focusing on comics, zines, and print media. For obvious reasons, we could not have an in-person event this year, but in conjunction with the Gutter Boys podcast, we are able to bring you a great series of interviews and discussions. Please visit anchor.fm slash gutterboys or atoptic.org for more interviews and information on how to subscribe to our podcasts. We also created a fantastic print catalog to commemorate the applicants and exhibitors you would have seen at Autoptic 2020. For more information on how to order a catalog, please visit autoptic.org 2020. That's A-U-T-O-P-T-I-C dot org 2020. Thank you again for listening and on to the conversation. Hello, uh, this is Alex Mitchell with Autoptic. Uh, I'm here today with two brothers, uh, Craig and John Thompson. Uh, uh, is, should, should I be saying John here? Because uh, I think in the... Phil, I've kind of decided that when I'm in the comics world, I'm known as Phil. So that's what everyone knows me as. And you can call me Phil. Yeah, Phil is Phil, what he's I known will. as in blankets. But it's also what I would call him when we were kids. Because it's his middle name. And I just thought it sounded better than John. <laughs> It was a little more unique. Excellent. Well, I will. I will. Uh, I'll do a quick find and replace here. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, so Craig Thompson is a cartoonist and the author of the awarding-winning uh, books "Blankets," "Goodbye Chunky Rice," and "Habibi." Uh, he was born in Michigan in 1975. Grew up in a rural farming community in central Wisconsin. Uh, his graphic novel "Blankets" won numerous industry awards and has been published in nearly 20 languages. Now, for the first time in his career, Thompson is working in serial form in a bi-monthly comic book series, part memoir, part travelogue, part essay, all comic book. Uh, Ginseng Roots explores class divide, agriculture, holistic healing, the 300-year-long trade relationship between China and North America, childhood labor, and the bond between two brothers. Uh, So, Craig and Phil, anything you'd like to add to that? Now, that's pretty good copy there, Alex. Thank you. I guess I would add I would add that uh, six of twelve issues are in publication already, so we're halfway through this adventure. Halfway through the story. Yes, and they're being published by Uncivilized Books, who's here in Minneapolis. That's right, local uh, publishers. And and Phil Phil Thompson is uh, your your I guess your other job when you're not uh, cartooning is a as a experienced director at Bolster at an advertising agency in Minneapolis. Exactly. Yeah, we're uh, just celebrating our tenth year in business. And what exactly is an experienced director? It, it sounds like um, the p- person who leads the ayahuasca ceremony. <laughs> it's very similar, actually. Yeah, that's every day. It's a real drag. Uh, and you've also be, you've you've been creating these original companion comics as well as part of the Ginseng Roots series, uh, illustrating scenes drawn from the brothers' childhood uh, from your own perspective. Um, and maybe you have something you want to add to that as well. Is there anything you would add in addition to? Craig, Craig kind of covers um, the genesis of the idea in the first couple of issues of Ginseng Roots. And kind of, um, you know, we drew a lot together as kids 
Um, and you know, probably when I turned 18 or 19, I, I stopped drawing comics on a regular basis. And so, um, uh, you know, Craig definitely pursued that w- far more than I ever did. And, uh, so now that I'm drawing again, 20 some years later, it kind of feels more like, uh, you know, our teenage years or, or even before that together drawing. So, um, you know, Craig has been encouraging me along the way to, uh, both, you know, explore stories, um, along the lines of Ginseng Roots, but then also to pursue my own short, uh, quite short stories, um, to, as companion pieces, like you said. Yeah. So yes, exactly. So, so Ginseng Roots, it's, it's delving into parts of your shared childhood. Um, do you want to give us a bit of background on your experience growing up, sort of both of you? Yeah, so we both, uh, we grew up in a very small rural community in central Wisconsin, population 1,200 people. That happened to be the largest grower of cultivated ginseng in North America. Um, at that time, I don't know about the world, because Korea has like a 5,000-year cultiva- ginseng cultivation industry. And um, I mean, it, it, there's some pretty mega grow- growers there, but... At least in America, uh, this tiny little town in the middle of Wisconsin is the biggest grower of this Chinese herb called ginseng. And and they've been shipping it to uh, China since 1783. And uh, and actually, even before that, French, French settlers or explorers were started shipping it in like 1708 or 1709 back to uh, China. So it's sort of the, okay, anyway, but that's not really talking about us and our experience. So we grew up in this tiny town, working class kids. So Phil and I grew up in this tiny town in a kind of poor working class family. And starting when I was 10 years old and Phil was seven, we started working uh, through our summers, 40 hour weeks in the ginseng gardens uh, just for our own pocket money. Um, yeah. And then like, yeah, I mean, and Craig covers a lot of this in the book and it's, I think it's really fascinating for a lot of people who haven't grown up in this environment, but for us, it was just like the norm of like, if you wanted money for toys and in, in our case, uh, absolutely comics, um, we needed to earn that, you know, and starting at that young age, making a buck 25 an hour. Well, we started at a dollar an hour. Yep. And yeah, so for us, summer vacation was like getting up at five in the morning when it was still dark out and going out to the fields and putting in an eight hour day and doing that five days a week. And uh, but we were happy to do it, one, because we didn't know any other existence. But yeah, it was it was how we got money to uh, buy comics initially. And I I don't think I would have uh, ended up in a career in comics if it hadn't been for that work, fueling that interest. So. So I'm interested, uh, certainly, uh, like reading through it, uh, you, you talk a little bit about some of this stuff, but I'm wondering if you have the same answers on, on some of these questions. What do you think the hardest part was of, of that sort of lifestyle of working in the fields? Do you want to take that one first, Phil? Uh, no, I'll, I'll let you handle that one. <laughs> uh, the hardest part was, um, sorry, that I mean, like, like I, <clears throat> I don't know if we even thought of it as that hard. I mean, like it, we, we didn't know anything else, you know? So I think probably the getting up at five was the hardest part, but that's Mm -hmm. the same time we got up during the school year because we had an hour long bus ride to get to school because we lived in the countryside. So, um, I actually find it harder now that I'm an adult to like look back and, and kind of 
regret that I don't have any kind of chill childhood summer memories, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't really, you know, I envy my peers who all were like doing more fun things during their summer or had leisure, leisure, this sort of like longing for leisure is kind of the hardest part. But at the, at that time, I don't know if it affected us that badly. No. Yeah. It was just, it's just what we knew. And before that, even we were working in our, uh, family, uh, vegetable garden, which was a half an acre in size. Yeah. So lots of weeding, lots of. And before that, our, our mother worked like she was taking care of people with different disabilities and we'd have to join her during the summer. So we would just be like at the home of these people that she's taking care of just kind of like trapped and bored. Mm-hmm. We were much happier to get out in the gardens and actually yeah. be useful. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's interesting to hear. I, I, I'm wondering then also sort of what was, what was your favorite part of that process of working in the fields? And do, do you think it's, do you both agree on that? The fourth issue of Ginseng Roots is about rock picking, which is where you just comb through a field uh, with a slow moving tractor and a wagon. And then the workers crawling behind, like, picking stones and rocks out of a field and like the smallest we would go is kind of softball sized and then some of the bigger rocks were like small boulders that we'd need all four of us to haft onto the wagon and uh but we really loved that because it was unlike the uh gins the ginseng garden work uh the ginseng garden work was very slow it was inside these covered gardens that could get really hot and sweltering it was just like a endless long days doing that work. So we were happy to be like outside. They're all outside, but, you know, like really like moving behind a tractor. Sometimes we take turns driving the tractor and and it felt more uh, quote just, unquote masculine to be hefting rocks. Yeah, I, I think just more free. Like you definitely feel trapped when you're under these in the ginseng gardens. You're covered in uh, wood lath yeah or a tarp and so you're kind of trapped under there all day long and you feel very stifled i don't know how to do well i could describe it to uh to people who have never seen a ginseng garden which is probably most people (laughs) because even in wisconsin you don't see these gardens until you get uh, within a couple of miles of our parents home um i'm living with john now in minneapolis and it's about a three-hour drive from here to central Wisconsin, Marathon County. I see no ginseng fields until that last couple-mile stretch. And then you see mm-hmm. them everywhere. Uh, but uh, it's a crop that needs like 80% shade canopy to mimic a forest. And, uh, and, and they're large gardens. I mean, now they're erecting gardens that are 50 to 100 acres. But they have to have... Um, a roof atop them and it's about six feet off the ground and they either use like a polypropylene sort of tarp or they use cedar lath like so like just like a wooden roof that lets in just enough sun to simulate 80 percent shade and it's maybe eight feet up or is it taller than that i think it's only about six it is only six and we were kids then so it seemed higher So, uh, yeah, they're very u- unique to that part of the world. And and this might be farther down the interview because it hasn't showed up in the series yet. But my brother and I, Phil, uh, went on like um, sort of a ginseng paint- patri- uh What's the word? Uh, pilgrimage? Pilgrimage. Ginseng <laughs> pilgrimage to like the birthplace to Jilin province in China. And then also to South Korea to this town called Gunsam to go see like where ginseng is like the most revered and and grown on really large scales. 
That sounds re- so. That that must be. Is does that show up in like issue six or? Uh, no. So s- six issues are finished and in publication right now. Then I w- I have I have read all six. So uh, uh, then it must be after. It that. might be the final two right now in terms of the outline. So there's an outline for all these issues, but things move around as I get to the drawing of them. But uh, it's slated to be the last couple of issues right now. We'll see. Well, that I mean that does sound like an interesting kind of culmination, sort of coming back to the to uh, the home of, of Ginseng, sort of in the same way that uh, there's a lot of this, this theme of sort of coming home th- throughout the comic. Um, so, so in the comic, uh, you also, you, you go into sort of the experience of growing up in a very uh, religious environment. And, and for both of you, I, I'm wondering sort of how you think that might, how does that, uh, how does that affect a person's worldview? And how do you think it might have affected both of you and your work? And like you're sort of the way that you approach the world. Well, the first thing I'll say, I'm really curious what Phil has to say, though, but is that I didn't really intend to put religion into this book. Like I, you know, after Blankets and then after Habibi, I was like, okay, I think I got religion out of my system. And I I don't really want that to be a theme in my books anymore, but it keeps sneaking back in. So even like my my last book, Space Dumplings, which was like a sci-fi comedy that was all ages kind of kid focused there's still like a a little character in there elliot the chicken who's a bit of a biblical scholar so i personally can't avoid it like it's just sort of i mean it was so ingrained in us it's kind of like the foundation of all our i don't Mm -hmm. know i mean our our childhood certainly that it's probably going to always be sneaking into my stories yeah, and I'll just add that it's probably a little bit more ingrained in Craig than it is into me, where uh, I, I've probably, by that age, I was 13, I kind of started to question and kind of was kind of weak in my Christianity and, you know, wanted to avoid church and things like that, so. And I was all in. I was the eldest child, and I was definitely, like, a very devout, you know, like, very, yeah, very much caught up in my spirituality. I think... um there, in relation to this book, I think there's something related to work ethic, which I haven't really articulated yet to myself, but there's something interwoven with uh, this sort of puritanical Christianity we were brought up in and also like a, a hard work ethic where like you value the sweat of your brow above you know like uh, it's It's very midwestern too uh in a lot of ways yeah it is very midwestern and it's just work for its own sake you know and like work you should suffer and suffering is good and in this yeah yeah it's very i've been living uh on the west coast for 24 years i just came back here within the last couple of months and uh so yeah i think uh i've spent more of my life living on the west coast and uh, and that's one of those things that nobody who grew up on the West Coast quite comprehends is his Midwestern work ethic, how crucial it is. And it's it's not a thing on the West Coast. But I, I have heard, though, on the East Coast, how they, they kind of look to the Midwest as like the Germany of like the, the like the the like the way Germany has a strong engineering culture. They look at the Midwest as like this strong uh, blue collar work ethic culture too. Yeah. And so like they appreciate like goods that are manufactured in the Midwest and they'll value them over ones coming from the East coast and, and the West coast. It's the same in LA when I was living in LA, uh, like a lot of studios said they loved hiring Midwesterners because they had the hardest work ethic. 
and they knew they could keep keep up with the pace of what was needed. Well, this is uh, with all this talk about hard work. I think if this is a good, this is a, as good a time as any. If if you are starting to feel thirsty, I I feel bad, uh, sort of putting that off. I, I think uh, we're going to pour ourselves a little. What do we got here, Phil? Uh, we got a little Japanese whiskey. We got some Suntory for relaxing times. Yeah, we need to relax. All this talk of work. All right. So, so the next, the next, my next question for you, and and feel free to enjoy that. Uh, and we won't, we won't question sort of the sound of of uh, <laughs> of drinking here. Uh, that should be fine. Um, I love when there's eating and drinking sounds on podcasts. <laughs> Do you remember Comics Claptrap? Uh, th- uh no, but it's one of the great comics podcasts. Rena Yu Yang and and Tin Fam, and uh, Tin was always snacking on the podcast. It was one of the finest pleasures of that experience. It's kind of AMSR, crunchy, crunchy stuff, and slurpy stuff. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll 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 shoot for as much of that as we can get here. Uh, so so I'm interested. You you both uh so. Despite sort of this this uh, this uh, this work ethic, this uh, this real focus on kind of the importance of physical manual labor, you both have ended up in creative careers. I wonder if you why do you think that is? Is is that related to to this this way that you grew up? Do you think or I want Phil to start on this one? Yeah, well, I feel I've been dominating a bit. Yeah, well, I was definitely pulled into it by Craig because Craig, being three years older than me, was always. Uh, pushing me to do whatever he wanted to do or whatever his <laughs> motivation was. And so like, uh, you know, I would be more prone to maybe staying in and watching a movie, watching an old aliens or predator or something like that. And he would always be dragging me out to, to draw comics or ideate some new characters. Or, um, sometimes I remember when it was, when we were really bored kind of in the middle of the country with nothing around us. Uh, we would literally, Craig would make me go into the uh, backyard and run in circles to generate and w- generate new ideas. <laughs> well, do you remember this? It's like a Google campus. Yeah. yeah. Get out there and run some slaps. Yep. And so just and like, then... like a baseball field, like running <laughs> between four bases and then like, okay, what if we had a, a rabbit and he had like a, he had two Uzis and he had a Rambo. <laughs> like a Rambo. We drew a lot of yeah. funny animals with guns sort of thing, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. But, but uh, no, we do talk about it a bit in Ginseng Roots is this desire to transcend our working class roots. You know, like our dad was a plumber. All the other dads we knew were truck drivers and farmers, uh, you know, and working class jobs, uh, carpenters, factory workers. Yeah, factory yeah. workers was actually factory worker was one of the most revered gigs in our hometown. Like it seemed like the kids that had the nice, comfortable lifestyle were the kids that had parents who were factory workers. Wasn't college wasn't really on our ra- it wasn't on our radar at all. We didn't know it was a thing people did. So I don't know. It was like. We were just on this track to be farmers or factory workers, but we got obsessed with comics and then uh, learned that, like, you know, that how, how to draw comics the Marvel way sort of template of like, oh, this is a thing people do and we're going to be pencilers of Spider-Man when we grow up. I don't know if you felt like we would do that, Phil. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, superhero comic were you going to pencil? And maybe Spider-Man, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I went through a big McFarlane phase. Yeah, so. Phil was the true believer of Spidey. 
I so I do want to know. Uh, so you you have a lot of examples of of comics that the two of you were into. I want to know what your favorites were, and whether you share tastes and whether you think you still sort of share comics tastes. Well, maybe I'll chime in first again on this one too. Um, Craig also being an older brother kind of it would direct me on which ones I was allowed to collect or which characters were kind of like associated with him versus me. And a so, lot of that though was like, I wanted twice the buying power. So right. I'd be like, I want that book also, but I don't have the money for that. So you have to collect X-Men cause right. that, you know, yeah. it has to and, be in the house. Yeah. And we weren't casual. Like we collected, you know, every, every issue of every of things when we collected it. So it'd be like, okay, you're going to get all of this and I'm going to get all of this. And I think we had three phases. We had, uh, we started with like the kiddie comics, like star comics, which was, uh, Marvel's line of licensed properties like, uh, Heathcliff and Muppet babies. That was our gateway into comics. And then we were in the X titles, you know, new mutants, X factor, X-Men. Mm-hmm. And, and then some other, we did have, we had a superhero phase we collected a lot of superheroes for a mm-hmm. year or two. And then we just got into uh, black and white indie comics like the Turtles, like uh, Ben Edlund's The Tick, like Usagi Ojimbo. Mm, Boris the Bear was my favorite. Boris the Bear from Dark Horse. A lot of Dark Horse stuff like Concrete. And that first wave of like manga that was being published in the U.S. So like Appleseed and, and Gray and stuff like that. I mean, both of us quit when we were in high school. Do you remember quitting or what prompted you to quit? No, I think I fizzled out, I think. I I mean, for me, there was just this like very distinct cutoff. Like once I started high school, I really wanted to put these nerdy things behind me. So like I had one solid year where I tried to eliminate all the nerd from my lifestyle because we were playing role playing games and 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 uh, and making VHS movies and and just being kind of spazzy. And, and definitely lots of comic books and Star Wars. And then when I got to high school, I tried to be straight for a while. But then we really got obsessed with skateboarding, and that was pretty much our high school fixation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't think Phil really went back to comics, but I did. I just had like, you know, a f- couple years of high school where I was skateboarding, and then I sort of rediscovered comics at the very end of my high school years. So you have you read Alex issue uh, six? Of ginseng roots, I yes, I, okay. Because yes, I, I subscribers, I don't think have gotten that issue yet, but it's it's in I, print. So. I, have a, I have a reader, so yeah, I think I I. And in that issue, I talk about how um, our parents tried to pull all of us out of public school to be Christian homeschooled, and this happened when I was entering my senior year of high school, and Phil was entering his freshman year of high school, and. Um, they succeeded at pulling me out of high school, but not Phil. So maybe that's worth discussing. Um, but during that time when I was isolated, very similar to this pandemic time, I was at home alone, couldn't see any of my friends, just reading the Bible all day. That's kind of when I rediscovered comics out of that sort of isolation and boredom. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. That I mean, that makes sense, I think, as kind of a as a, a way of getting away. And I'm sure that probably there are there are probably listeners to this who maybe are feeling that uh, maybe comics are, are your escape. So I, I hope I hope people um, gravitate towards them. In this yeah, time. maybe if you're uh, t- too well uh, socialized, you're not going to gravitate towards comics. It needs you need some of that uh, antisocial time or isolated time. 
is there so is there anything else that you would add to that phil like uh do you feel like was there ever a time that you sort of came back to comics did you come back to comics sort of as an adult yeah i think definitely when craig started publishing i um I would always kind of maybe go to the comic store once or twice a year and stack, get a, get a short stack of graphic novels or something like that kind of find the good big novels of the year and grab those or get them as gifts from either Craig or other people. So, you know, a small collection, but not, not voracious. I mean, there was a time there, like, you know, around when blankets came out 2003, where there was like four or five great graphic novels a year, right? Like anybody could stock up on that library. And now it's impossible to keep up. You know, like you can't, like you could go in every week and there'd be four or five good graphic novels, you know? But. Yeah, so I guess then, Craig, what, do you, what are you reading these days? Is there is there anything that's kind of... Uh, I just read... Uh, what, what are your three just, or four? I, I'm reading some advanced readers' copies right now, actually, so I, I can endorse these. I just read Leli's uh, book, Stone Fruit, which is coming out from uh, Fanographics. I think not until May, so that's a terrible thing for me to talk about. Um, I just read Joe Sacco's new book, Paying the Land, which came out from, I think, Macmillan is the publisher. Uh, and that's an amazing... They're both amazing books. Um but, it, you know, I it, uh, this pandemic thing is really inhibiting my buying, as is um, I just moved to Minneapolis about um, seven weeks ago. And so for, the, for a couple months leading up to the move, not only was I not buying anything, but I was actively just I got rid of all my books again, you know. And so um, I've been kind of avoiding acquiring things. And even now, my, my time in Minneapolis might be temporary, so I can't acquire too much because it's got to fit back in my car when I move again. That that makes sense. I, I think there's nothing like moving to make you not want to own objects. Uh, so, uh, so, so getting back into kind of into the into the story itself and into sort of the experience of of sort of seeing this story play out phil i'm wondering what it what it's like to see this shared experience uh sort of play out on the page and what it's like to work together on telling the story yeah um i love it i think it's it's i have a horrible memory so it's always really um great for me to see to, to begin to relive these stories as we talk about them, as Craig's kind of formulating the story and then to see it come together with pictures, you know, months down the road or years down the road. Um, so for me, it's, it's a good, you know, it's, and we also, we didn't have a lot of photographs growing up either. So there's, we don't have a ton of, you know, captured moments from our childhood necessarily, maybe less than most people. And so I think seeing these moments captured now, um, it kind of imprints it more in, in my memory. Um, and brings up these stories that we, some of them we haven't talked about, you know, for 40 years or whatever, or 35 years. Um, um, s- second part of that question. Yeah. So what, yeah. What's it like to work? Oh yeah. Yeah. To oh, work and together then from a collaboration on, on standpoint. Of, yeah. yeah. And that's one reason Craig's here uh, in Minneapolis now too, is like, you know, so we can work together hands on and, and, you know, start both having conversations, but then also like working on stuff too. I'm, I'm working on a, a new, uh, uh, mini for uh, uh, upcoming issue, uh, like a twelve-page mini, so a short uh, quarter-page type of thing. Um, but uh, you know, Craig's always encouraging me to do my stuff, so it's it's inspiring for me to uh, 
be diving into comics again in that way. And for me, it's definitely the best part of the process is seeing Phil's work. Um, I kind of hate my own work so much. Like it's a, it's a, a, a problem. And, um, so there's like very little enjoyment that comes out of producing work, but I have the opposite experience when, when I see Phil's, you know, like I get, I get that kind of giddy kid excitement about the process again, seeing his pages. And I guess it's, yeah, yeah, they're related, but they're not from me. So I, I, I somehow I'm able to just enjoy them more. Yeah. And, yeah. Because that's how I feel like I'm, so now that, you know, that now that I'm seeing Craig every day and I come home after eight hours or whatever, and I see a, a new brand new page sitting there, that's really exciting for me because in the past we've always been, you know, thousands of miles apart. So I would only see a PDF here and there and it's small, it's digital and it's, you know, you're not seeing the progress and now it's, it's really fun to see the progress, um, taking shape yeah we're planning to get to a point where we kind of do some jams on the same piece of paper which is like a 90s cartoonist sort of thing where where i i mean i remember paul pope and jay stevens did that uh amazing um what was it called buzz buzz or giant thb where they were doing collaborative comics where they're drawing on the same page uh chester brown has done some of those with joe matt and seth um we're hoping to dive into some of that you don't see people doing that anymore Oh, I guess uh, James Kotroka and I did this short little mini comic called Conversations, which was also that drawing on the same piece of paper together. Well, that seems like a very that's a pretty intense like form of of collaboration. Uh, so that is that's that really is that's really interesting. And, and Phil was uh, describing he's working on this mini comic now. So with the uh, subscriptions of Ginseng Roots that go through Uncivilized, there's usually like a little bit of swag well there is with every uh issue so sometimes it's a print uh sometimes it's a sticker and uh there's been a couple mini comics that have come out now too that come in addition to the issue swag like s-c-h-w i like that (laughs) swag absolutely uh so so craig uh you you have this you have quite a history of making work inspired by your own lived experience uh but do you feel like there were some additional challenges in this story? Uh, you discuss it a little bit in the in this, the comic itself. Um, do you think this was more difficult, or is it sort of uh, less difficult? Or every every project seems more difficult than the last, which is counterintuitive. It seems like they should be getting easier, but no, I don't think they are. Uh, similar to the what I said about religion, like I kind of thought I wouldn't ever do autobio again, and there's all kinds of inherent problems with autobio you know it's in a lot of ways it's the least truthful genre you know because you have to change you have to edit things to make a story you have to edit things to protect people's privacy you know um i had that problem a lot with blankets like well okay i can do whatever i want with myself i I can be you know as I could, you know, I'm, you know, a very malleable character on the page. You know, I can be very self-deprecating, but it's like walking on eggshells when you're depicting other people and their families and what's appropriate. And there's a lot of, you know, and so uh, this, I'm feeling a lot of the same things with this project. I definitely worry about, oh, how am I depicting these people? But uh, I also, um, it's also all based off of like voice memo recordings on my phone. So it's a little more documentary a la Joe Sacco. So I, I, I'm meeting up with farmers and people we worked with when we were kids and interviewing them like this on my phone. Then I have like 
hundreds of pages of transcribed interviews that I have to chisel down into like 30 page stories, you know, but uh, at least the fact that it's like recorded and it has that sort of actual documentary quality, it, it maybe it takes some of the edge off of like, okay, I'm not inventing the words from real people's mouths. You know, it's their, their words at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I was sort of wondering whether that was like maybe part of why you were gravitating towards that sort of more documentary, you know, style, uh, because you, I just really wanted to do a nonfiction book, you know, where I blankets, I thought of as a memoir, but also it was like, you know, creative nonfiction or something, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it wasn't like a hard, there's nothing nonfiction about it, I guess it was, it was a memoir, but with some creative license. And this time I wanted to do something that was more like an essay, more like a document. Terry, more like the nonfiction prose books that I like to read. Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, so so uh, so Phil, I, I have a question for you. What is a what is a question that you would like to ask uh, Craig? And what's something that you think most pe- most people would not think to ask? Oh, that's a good question because I well, so I haven't prepped properly private for this interview and i get to see craig every day now we do coffee every morning and then we usually do dinner and stuff too so we've had a lot of good opportunities to ask questions like that but in the context of uh uh, this interview and fans i have not given that a lot of thought so as you're thinking of a question though um I, I moved in with Phil uh at the very end of June. Mm-hmm. So Phil invited me to come live live with him in Minneapolis back in last September. And I've kind of like it's always been there in the back of my mind, like, oh, that'd be a fun thing to do. I was living in Portland, Oregon last. Um and then uh at the beginning of this year I was just like, Oh yeah, no, I'm not so happy in Portland. I think I'm gonna take Phil up on his offer to go move in with him. And then uh, I was scheduled to move on March 30th and the pandemic happened. And so like we just kind of shut down the whole move, my landlords and my friends I was subletting from. Um, And then, you know, like a couple months later, it seemed like things were stabilizing enough to resume the move. And of course, that was the actually the same week that George Floyd was murdered. So like, again, the world was in chaos. I don't think it's going to not be in chaos for a while. So. At that point, the wheels were in motion. I had to make the move. So I moved in here end of June, and uh, it's been awesome. Like, uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of siblings that voluntarily l- uh, live together. Mm-hmm. But so, so far, it's been pretty fun, though. It's a pretty good... I think it's working pretty well. Yeah. And like Phil's describing, we have our coffee clutches in the morning where we probably get to work a little later than we uh-huh. used to because we just like drinking coffee and catching up on things and so now what's your question <laughs> i gave you some time yeah, yeah or i mean if if you don't have a question maybe what's something that that you think people might be interested in hearing about that that you think maybe they 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 don't know or that or that you think is oh, important? oh that's even more kind of uh, well how about pressure. i ask phil a question about like <laughs> sure that's great you lived uh at least the family part of blankets as much as me so what parts uh feel uh inaccurate to you or or maybe downplayed or Mm -hmm. yeah so we've we've had this conversation a a few times and um uh i i think when you know blankets first came out i was you know in my younger 20s i think and i hadn't given a lot of thought to my past 
you know, because I was still kind of like growing and becoming an adult and getting a career and all this stuff. Um, and, and, but I, so I kind of shrugged off my past and, and I think at a glance I was thinking, oh, you know, there's a lot of exaggeration in blankets, you know, that when you look at the, the portrait of our dad kind of look just like hovering over, just like, you know, over us, just strong and mean and angry. And, um, and then, you know, over time, I think, you know, you look back at that stuff and it's like, no, I think that is like a really, really, really accurate portrayal of what's going on. And then I've had so many conversations since then too with both people who have grown up in environments like that and people who haven't um to to get a sense for like what's normal you know as a kid or what's you know what's uh corporal punishment like and what's uh what's it like to have uh, you know evangelical you know christian parents and things like that we had a great conversation with someone from our hometown uh just last night actually yeah um, I, and also John and I are Phil, sorry, Phil and I are quite different uh, personalities. I'm definitely the the more uh, emo neurotic one, you know, this sort of like uh, esoteric, bumbling, er- neurotic, you know, like older brother. Phil's always been the cooler, stoic, you know, more avoidant. masculine one. <laughs> Maybe avoidant, stoic, avoidant. Uh so we we went into this a little bit uh like a, a little bit a little bit ago but uh as you were talking about sort of your 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 path from Portland to Minneapolis but i'm wondering sort of maybe from both of you like during this collective kind of nightmare of a year uh how the two of you are managing and like how like does this how is this affecting your creative work uh how is it affecting how are you trying to get through it, I guess? Well, I definitely made the right decision coming to to live with Phil during this time. And it, so it was a bit of a motivator. I mean, I'd already made the decision before pandemic hit, but certainly living alone in isolation, you know, while social isolating from everybody was not tolerable. And uh, it, it's much better now that I'm living with someone, living with my bro, Um yeah. And I, I think I feel, um, you know, grateful when, when, you know, I, we, we actually have a fair amount of space here. We don't have kids, you know, getting in our way. I've heard so many stories of families who, you know, can't, you know, have a, a, a meeting. It couldn't do a call like this because the kids are all over the place. Um, I have an office which is completely vacant right now. So I also have a secondary space to kind of hang out into. Um, and I have a, a great partner too, who has a, a, a space of her own too. So we, you know, even though it sucks to be shut up, shut in your own little space in your room and not be able to do anything. Like I'm grateful that we have a little bit more space and activity than most. And we're also like two blocks from the river here too. So the, the, just the walking around here is great. And getting some um, nature. I love that aspect of Minneapolis so far as all the lakes and this access to nature. And you've probably heard it from every cartoonist, Alex, but like a pandemic at least has not drastically changed our lifestyles because we've always been isolated at home. Like it's like everybody else has to catch up with the way we've been living and, and now understands why we're also uh, mentally imbalanced. You know, it's like not healthy to be indoors all the time, just doing, being alone, doing your own thing. But cartoonists, that's just <laughs> what you got to do. That's just the, I guess the life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so in that case, um, so you went into this a little bit, but, 
uh, for for all of the artists and designers out there. Do you have any strategies, any tips, uh, any warnings uh, for how to how to approach sort of working? Both Phil and I get up uh, around seven fifteen without alarms. Um, uh, it's not that I, I don't know why we both had that same lifestyle. Um, when, it, when we arrived, we both don't use alarms, but we both pretty much get up seven fifteen. I think getting up early, at least for me is, is important and putting on pants rather than wearing pajamas all day. There was probably like uh, a month or so of pandemic where I was indulging in, in pajamas and it was not good for me psychologically. Yeah, I think everyone was doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, all right, this has got to end. Well, we celebrated it for like a week or, or two and then we realized how bad of an idea it was. Yeah. yeah. It does something to your psychology. I mean, I was also motivation. watching apocalyptic movies for the first week or two, too, <laughs> where I'm like, oh, this will be fun. This will be a good idea. Yeah, so, so, but, but any more you would maybe recommend against uh, those things. But we're both pretty like routine. We're both pretty routine oriented type of people, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So again, it doesn't, in that sense, it hasn't changed us drastically. Phil was describing that he still goes to his office every day. And is there for eight hours. It just happens to be that he's the only one at the office. Kind of the best of both worlds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. No one wants to come to the office, so I have all the space to myself. And, uh, you know, another thing about being a cartoonist is you really don't make any income. You know, like we're pretty used to like going a couple of years without a paycheck, which is a difficult way to live. But, I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years now, so... You know, you maybe, if you're lucky, get paid when a book comes out, like a graphic novel. And then if you kind of lucky. float on that for the next couple of years. You know, there's so there's so thus far, my income hasn't really changed, you know, because it's like I wasn't making any money anyway. I haven't made a penny for the last year and a half. You know, like this has not changed my income. And and it's always like, how am I going to make it to the next month? But uh, yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years now. So, I, you know, freelance cartoonists, I think, have a, a knack for, you know, keeping a nest egg going that, that's got to last them through months of no income or uncertain income. Mm -hmm. So better prepared, maybe, than, than many folks. Great. Yeah. So uh, the only other thing I would sort of open up is if, if Phil has has come up with any other any additional questions that that he thinks would be interesting to ask craig but or did you drink too much whiskey already <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine uh we're I guess I, we're gonna miss autoptic the actual tangible physical festival this year because i've only been a couple of times but that's such a great show and and uh were you gonna okay. say something about that i uh, no, no. I mean, I, yeah, I loved Autoptic. I, I, I used to work um, in the in the North Loop, and I, I loved when it was in the Aria uh, building. It was just, uh, it's just, just such a beautiful festival, and the people and everything is great. Um, I do have a question though for you, Craig. Yeah. Whoa, here it is. Um, yeah. um, like, I, I don't get to see you interact with your fans very often, but I know that you have a lot of fans out there, and, and I was able to sit with you last year at TCAF. And uh, I actually um, signed books with you, and that was really fun. Um, but given that no one, the fans, you're not able to meet your fans, you're not able to go to conventions or anything. What do do you have any sort of message for your fans? Like if it, it, like a, in the Zoom era, 
that we're in right now? Uh, I don't know if I have a specific message for the fans, but I, I lament the fact that the a big part of the motivation for doing the serialized comics was to have, you know, rather than have my readers wait for six, seven years for a new project, I just wanted to kind of parcel it out regularly, you know, and I was hoping that would craft a little community around, you know, the bi-monthly schedule. And uh, I'm kind of uh, frustrated that it, that's not the effect I'm feeling at, thus far. It's not specific to pandemic. I think it's specific to the fact that people really don't buy or I like serialized comic books, especially indie comic books, are not really a thing anymore. So part of this project is motivated by nostalgia for that era when we were kids and there were letters pages and, and whatnot, you know. And Oh, yeah. We actually have a couple comics from the 80s where we have published letters in them. I had a, a Bullwinkle and Rocky and what Heathcliff. And Speedball. Speedball by Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko's Speedball. I need to know what what were what was sort of the general. Was well, the, the only one I remember is Bullwinkle and Rocky, where I kind of gave them some some plot suggestions. <laughs> you know, as a whatever eight or nine year old, and I'm like, I think it would be cool if there was a gigantic robotic mecha, um, I don't know, some sort of robot, and Rocky was the hero, and he flew into the brain and destroyed it. And, um, it's still a great idea. You can still that could be the next issue of Jensen mm-hmm, Roots. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a lot of cartoonists have been starting podcasts like this. Have you noticed this, Alex? Oh, yeah. It's a new trend, not just for cartoonists, for everybody who started a podcast. So uh, maybe that's what we got to do to stay connected to readers. Uh, but but uh, right now I'm just trying to make the comic books. Yeah, well, I mean, here's episode one, right? <laughs> episode zero. This is the pilot. Uh well, I, I want to, I, I want to thank you so much. Is there, is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, before we sort of go into plugs and, th- and things like that? Uh, no, I guess I just uh, again acknowledge uh, Uncivilized Books, and they're uh, they're a, a indie publisher here in Minneapolis that's run by Tom Kaczynski, who is an amazing cartoonist himself. And uh, and they have amazing catalog of of indie books. Um, Tom Tom is a great friend of Autoptic too. So oh yeah, absolutely. he's like yeah. helped out for years with Autoptic. So yeah, just want to put a little plug out for them. And um, I think that's all I got. Phil, anything anything special you'd like to mention? I'll just plug Ginseng Ritz because I love um, seeing each issue come out and. Um, uh, now that there's six issues out, it's a kind of substantial body of work now, you know, 100, what, 120, 130 pages. Um, I think it's almost 200 now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, I've seen the story kind of start to come together, but now it's cool to see it all in one thick um, kind of stack of pages. So it's exciting. It's growing well, I, like the roots. Well, yes. Growing like the roots. So uh, Craig, Phil, I, I want to thank you so much. Um, are there, do, do either of you have any social media things that you'd want to sort of throw out there or my, uh, Instagram is Craig Thompson books. That's also my website. That's pretty much all I got. I'm pretty bad with social media. I'm not, I'm, I got to get better at it, especially now. 
um, in theory, have but, a Facebook page. But too, if you but, get a bunch of new followers, you might be posting more often then, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. If I hear from people, so, maybe I'll be motivated. To so post. if you're listening to this, go, go follow him. And then Craig will see these guys, these new followers pop up and be like, oh, I better be posting for this. Yeah, I better create content because I'm not so good at that. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess we're, we're signing off. Uh, and I I appreciate the two of you so much for for doing this. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, thank you for uh, moderating this, getting this, organizing this. Thanks, Alex. Thank you again for listening to this presentation of Autoptic 2020. For more information about our organization and events, please remember to visit autoptic.org. That's A-U-T-O-P-T-I-C dot org.